you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. So if you've been with us the last uh, couple of months, you know we've been going through the gospel of Matthew together. And, and the main reason why we're doing that is because, you know, at Bethel we talk about how we want to be a church where we're growing and loving God and loving others and making disciples. And, and this year especially, we've been focusing on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And Matthew is a, is a great book to read uh, to sort of figure that out out. Um, so um, that's what we've, been, what we've been doing. And I encourage you, we're going to go through the whole book of Matthew together, and we're going to get done uh, the Sunday after Easter. And so we're only five chapters in, and if, if you've been reading along with us, great. And if you haven't, I encourage you, this is a great time uh, to get caught up, um, because we're not going to talk about everything in Matthew. You know, there's, there's a lot here. We could be in Matthew for the next three years and still kind of scratch the surface. So I encourage you, read along and, and hear what's going on. See what, um, what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is and what it means uh, to follow him. And so, but as we've been reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, and what it means to be a disciple, I think you can actually sum it up in just one line. And this one line is something Jesus says a bunch, but it sort of captures what Jesus is trying to do uh, and what it means to be a part of it. And, And it's this, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and it's full of um, words we don't normally use, but, but it, it, it's really actually simple. Uh, this is the message that Jesus wants his, his readers or his hearers to accept. Uh, this is what he wants us to believe about who he is and what he's trying to do on earth. And it has to do with repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And just to, to capture this, um, repent is just a, a Bible way of saying turn around. Uh, So step one, uh, turn around. You've been going in one direction. Uh, Now, because of what I'm doing, go in the other direction. So turn around. And the kingdom of heaven is God's way of, uh, Jesus' way of talking about uh, a place where God rules, right? So um, right right now, we live in the United States of America, and we're we're ruled by, you know, a president and the Congress, by the people. Together, we have a constitution and all that. So, you know, we're the kingdom of the United States. In their world, it was the Roman Empire, the kingdom of Rome. Uh, And Jesus is saying, uh, the one in charge of God's kingdom, heaven, where where God lives, is coming to earth, and he's bringing the kingdom with him. Uh, So, you know, one way of saying, you know, Jesus is saying, turn around, to everybody who listens, he's saying, turn around, because a new world is taking over the old one. Uh, The old world is going to change because a new world, God's world, where God's in charge, is coming down from heaven on to earth. And Matthew is dedicated to explaining what this looks like in the lives of people, uh, what it means if we're going to believe that that's actually true and, and live like it, and what it, what it means uh, to be human in light of that. Um, so Jesus is explaining what this means for the world and those who believe him. Uh, and the part of, the, of Matthew we're in right now is called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's this, uh, it kind of takes a picture of Jesus' teachings, the things that he was going around saying after he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, and it fleshes it out. And so if you're wondering, what does it mean that God's rule is coming down on the earth? Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is, is dedicated to answering that 
question. So last week, we, we talked a little bit about who, um, who stands to gain the most from a new kingdom. Uh, Jesus talked about how uh, people who are hurt the most by sin and evil, who are, who are poor, who are at the bottom rung of societies, who are, who are peacemakers, who have mercy. Um, Jesus talked about how those people, the people at the bottom, ought to be happy because the old world, the old kingdom is passing away and a new one is coming because this new world is invading and growing in the middle of an old dark world. Well, this week, um, Jesus turns a little bit to talking about um, what that new world in the middle of the old one looks like uh, in real life. And, and Jesus uses specific real life examples. He uses hot button issues that the people hearing him would have, would have wrestled with to try and explain what this kingdom means, what it, what it looks like. And so we're going we're gonna to start in uh, verse 13. And I, I'm not putting it up on the screen, so hopefully you got it in front of you. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. He's talking to his disciples, right? To the people that would be a part of this kingdom. He says, you are the light of this world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do a people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl. No, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we get our first little picture. If you want to know what the kingdom looks like lived out on earth, it, it's kind of like a, a single candle lit in a dark room. Uh, the whole room is, is still dark, but the light makes it possible to see inside. Or it's, or it's a little bit like salt on, on your meat that preserves it or on your meal. Um, what's interesting for Jesus about the kingdom is the contrast it's noticeably different. It can't be hidden. If you're living as if this kingdom is true, um, you're like a city on a hill. You can't hide your existence because everybody else sees how different you are from the dark world that we live in, uh, that they can't miss you. So that's what Jesus is saying. It's all about contrast. Uh, he continues. Uh, now, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and I do have that one on the slide, for I tell you, and it's kind of hard to see, uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, that's a, a tough line in, in Scripture. Um, it's actually, this whole sermon is tough. Um, th th that line is so tough that Bible scholars have, have dedicated, I am not kidding, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages trying to explain um, why um, maybe Jesus doesn't quite mean what he seems to be saying there, <laughs> right? It's hard to hear. And, and so if you read this, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day, they were the, the Bible readers, they were the pastors, they were the preachers, they were the people that everybody thought knew how to follow God best, okay? These are the people that, uh, as far as everybody else was concerned, is just the, the cream of the crop, the people that really get what it means to follow God. Jesus says, unless your righteousness is higher than those, you will certainly not enter the kingdom. 
And, and as you're reading this, you're like, oh boy, I don't like that. And actually, it gets worse. <laughs> because Jesus then, if you look at your, your headings there, uh, the rest of the chapter, um, Jesus talks about in, in their hot-button issues exactly what he means by this. Uh, he talks about exactly what he means by this. And we're not going to go into it individually because it'll take us forever. But I encourage you to, to read the rest of this chapter today. Um, and he kind of hits... He kind of hits three points in the rest of the chapter. He, he says, okay, so um, this is what righteousness looks like when it comes to people you are in conflict with, right? He says, um, you know, the law says don't kill anybody. Well, I say even if you have hate in your heart, you're subject to judgment. And, and so what Jesus says, and, and as you read through, you'll see it. He says, you know, when you have conflict with people, it's more than just not doing something terrible. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is about uh, reconciling conflicts and healing relationships. He even says something crazy. He's like, if somebody's taking you to court, uh, and you know, if you're going to court, you know you're right and you know they're wrong. He says, instead of getting to the judge, settle out of court. This is what he means. Heal the relationship is more important than even whether or not you're right. So that's the first one. In conflict, Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is about reconciling and healing relationships. Uh, the next three, um, they focus on a hot-button issue of their day, which was marriage and divorce. And in, in the ancient world, um, the only one allowed to dissolve a marriage was the husband, right? Uh, and, and the husband, the rule was that if you gave your wife a certificate of divorce, um, you, could, you could divorce them. It's a legal document that says, you know, we're no longer married. And so then you were in the clear. And, and what happened in the ancient world when this happened was the husband was, was just fine, right? <laughs> They had all the resources, all the power, all the money in the world. They could go find uh, another better wife or whatever. The wife is now really stuck. Uh, she's got nobody to support her anymore. And it's really unlikely that she'll get married again. And so in Jesus' day, um, he says, you know, you're worried about making sure that when you break your promises, you have a good contract for that. Uh, but what I say to you, when it comes to keeping your word— um, the kingdom of heaven is about making every word you say as good as a promise. That's what Jesus says. He says, it's not just about, you know, getting out of things in the right way. It's not just about not cheating on your spouse. It's not just about, you know, saying like when you really promise something, you fall through. No, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is about making everything you say as good as an oath. And finally, when it comes to dealing with people, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is about more than loving your neighbor and your friends and your family. He says, it's easy to love your neighbor, your friends, and your family. He says, the kingdom of heaven is about loving the people who, who hate you. It's about loving the people who hurt you, and it's about loving the people who take from you, who always want something more uh, from you. And so if you're anything like me, as you're hearing this, right, when it comes to conflict and promises and, and dealing with, with difficult people, if you're hearing this and you're hearing what Jesus is asking of us, you're probably saying, um, you know, he just, he can't possibly mean that, <laughs> right? Like he can't possibly mean that this is how God expects us to live or this is what it means to be in his kingdom. And you are not alone in feeling that way, um, Bible scholars and Christians for the last 2,000 years <laughs> have been trying to find ways to explain that he can't possibly mean that we're supposed to live that way. Jesus can't possibly expect that we might live that way. Um, and if you're like me and them, you're, you're like looking for a, a way out of what he's saying here. Or, or maybe you, know, you do what a lot of pastors and teachers do is we just don't even talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable and, you know, whatever. 
And the other thing you might be thinking is that it just doesn't sound like um, who, we think of, who we think of Jesus being, right? You know, the, the Jesus I like, I don't know about you, but the Jesus I like is the, is the love Jesus, right? Uh, the one who said, you know, do not judge. Come on, you guys got this. Lest you be judged, right? Don't judge others, Jesus. That's the one I like. Or the Jesus that said, you know, let the little children come to me. Or, or the Jesus that, you know, he spent all his time with tax collectors and sinners and people that um, weren't living their life in the right way. That's the, the Jesus that, that I like. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the Jesus that has expectations for me, though. Uh, we try and avoid that expectations, Jesus, you know. Um, and so then when we hit this point where it's like, so which Jesus is it? You know, who's, who's the, the king of this kingdom? What does it mean to be in this kingdom? Does it mean that God loves us and he'll forgive us no matter where we've been? Or uh, does it mean he expects us to be a new kind of person living a new kind of way in the middle of an old dark world? Is he, is he our buddy that's here to offer us love and grace and acceptance? Or is he our Lord that expects us to be different than we currently are? Do we, do we get to throw, um, and we would never uh, say this out loud, but you know, do we get to throw out what this says um, because of forgiveness? You know, is the kingdom of heaven so new that it just doesn't matter anymore what, what scripture says? Well, um, we wrestle with this, and believe it or not, the people that first met Jesus wrestled with it too. Um, because like we were talking about, Jesus, as he walked the earth in Matthew, and we'll read about it more, he spends all his time with people that don't seem to live up to that standard that he's talking about. In fact, uh, they don't live up to the standard of the Old Testament, their, their Bible at the time. He spends all, their time, all his time with uh, tax collectors, who were exploiting their neighbors for financial gain. He spends all his time um, with uh, sick and hurt people. He spends all his time with uh, sex workers. Um, and people are, are asking, Jesus' friends, these scribes and Pharisees, are seeing Jesus eat dinner with all these like, people that don't seem to believe in the Bible. And they're saying, is, is Jesus saying that, that those people are fine, right? Is Jesus saying that it's okay that tax collectors exploit people? Is Jesus saying it's okay that they seem to be just tearing up uh, scripture and throwing it in the trash? And Jesus, his actions, his love that he shows to people, it's really making people wonder. Jesus, what are you about? What do you expect of people? Are you, are you the, representing, you know, is your kingdom a kingdom of love and forgiveness? Or is it a kingdom um, of expectations? What does he expect of us? And, and it seems that Jesus was hearing this kind of question because he, he deals with it. And he deals with it in verse 17. And I think verse 17 and two words in it, the words to fulfill, um, really capture um, the answer to this question. And it's almost like Jesus saying, I know you guys uh, are worried that I'm throwing away uh, what God said. I know you guys are worried that I'm just throwing the door open to, to anybody. But let me explain what's going on. He says this in verse 17. Uh, there we go. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Uh, now, to understand Jesus here, when he says the law and the prophets, he's using uh, their words for the Old Testament, basically the, the Old Testament. Uh, so the law uh, is the Hebrew word Torah, which means is really the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the prophets 
Um, uh, the Hebrew word is Nevi'im, and that represents kind of everything else in, in Scripture. Uh, there are a few things that aren't included in this, but when Jesus says, um, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, what he's saying is, I haven't come to throw your Scripture in the trash. In fact, I've come to fulfill them. And so what does he mean by this? What, and, it, and it has a lot to do with what kind of God uh, Jesus believes in and what kind of God we believe in. Uh, so, so the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament, and if you're in our, our confirmation class, you might be getting a picture of this already, uh, because the, the whole Old Testament, it's dedicated to telling kind of one story uh, in lots of different ways through lots of different people. Um, if you're in class, uh, you'd experience this because almost every story in Scripture sounds a lot like um, the others, because um, it highlights the Old Testament just dedicated to highlighting how this thing happens. And the thing is this, that over and over again, uh, God chooses human beings to do something important in his world. Uh, When he created the world, he chose human beings to rule over it, right? Uh, And from the very beginning, God has uh, made human beings and he's desired them to have this uh, place of prominence in ruling over creation on God's behalf. But, but since the beginning of Scripture, the beginning of the Old Testament, human beings um, over and over again uh, reject God and embrace evil. And, and this story, I'm telling you, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see it over and over again. God will raise somebody up. They'll seem like things are going really well, but before you know it, they've turned their back on God and they're embracing evil. And, and over and over again, it doesn't seem to matter who it is, this story repeats. And the question that starts to come up, uh, because you see both of these things, you see God's amazing love, because no matter what happens, every time those human beings turn their back on God, and some bad things happen, but God never lets go of them, and then on the next page, he's loving somebody else and raising them up and hoping that maybe they'll break the cycle. You see God's love over and over again, but you also see his expectations, right? Not only does God love the people and raises them up, he hopes, he expects that maybe one day they won't fall victim to evil. Maybe one day they will rule creation on his behalf. But, but if you've read the Old Testament, uh, over and over again, and Jesus' uh, friends, this was, this was their Star Wars, right? They knew it in and out. Um, as you read the Old Testament, it seems to seem like no matter what God does, no matter how much God loves somebody, the human heart uh, is just incapable of doing what God has planned. Um, if you read the Old Testament, it seems clear that uh, the human heart is it, just incapable of living up to these expectations. And so the question becomes as the Old Testament ends and people are living out of this and holding this, this scripture uh, as important and inspired by the question becomes, um, is God ever going to solve this problem of human evil? That no matter what God does, we always turn our back. Well, in the middle of the ups and downs of the Old Testament, in the middle of that story over and over again, uh, it takes many forms, but, but God promises that one day um, he'll change the human heart itself. Um, that one day God will deal with um, the evil, uh, the church word right for that is sin, and he'll deal with it not on the level of, of actions and consequences, but deep inside of human beings where evil finds its root. This is the hope, this is the promise, and then the Old Testament ends. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, is here's the answer to the question. He's saying, I am here to fulfill this promise that one day God really will change human beings at their very core. Jesus uh, fulfills not only God's abundant love for people in choosing them and raising them up, he also um, 
lives out that, that grace that God has for people, he's always inviting, right? Jesus is always offering forgiveness. He's always ready to forgive. He's always telling people, come back, come back, come back. Wait to see what God does. He fulfills the law of love in the Old Testament, but he also contains and fulfills God's desire to, he, to see human beings not just accepted as they are, but, but changed on a, on a heart level. Because um, you can't read the scripture without, without seeing that God, he, it, it breaks his heart. He hates the evil in the world. He hates it when uh, one human being destroys another human being because God knows how much pain and destruction evil causes. He simply can't look away, and Jesus fulfills that too. Jesus, being God, doesn't only want to forgive evil people and let them continue to be evil. He wants to change evil hearts. The thing is, uh, Jesus really believes, if you read Matthew, um, he really believes he's not here to give people an escape hatch from an evil world, um, but actually to bring heaven's rule down to earth in real ways. He, he believes that he's here to fulfill the people that he made, to give us a way to be changed at our very heart core level. And, and he believes, and, and Matthew will tell this story, and Matthew will claim that through Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, we can be forgiven of our sin, right? The many ways we give in to evil in this world, we can be set free from it. And that not only can we be forgiven the bad things that we've done and set free from them, uh, we can actually be given new hearts so that we don't have to do those things anymore. Jesus really believes that our evil hearts and this evil world is changing and can be changed. He believes he can fulfill and, and over... Um, and of course, if he can fulfill the Old Testament, he can fulfill us too. Fulfillment means not only can he forgive our actions, but he can change our hearts. And as I read this scripture, and I was thinking about this story to tell you about today, um, and, and one of the things I do as I'm preparing for sermons is I spend a lot of time praying about uh, the words uh, that I'm going to say. And I heard, uh, as I was praying, this is what I, I, where I felt convicted, um, I think where I felt convicted is that I just think my imagination is, is just garbage sometimes of what I think God can do. Um, I think so often my best case scenario and hope for what God can do in changing my life and in somebody else's life is that they'll just be like slightly less terrible. You know, it's like, oh God, please make me just 1% less terrible. <laughs> you know, as, as you're a kid, when you're a kid, you know, you, and this is awesome, this is how we're made to be, right? You aim for the moon so that you can land in the stars, but like as you get older, I won't point it at you guys, as you get older, you just, you aim lower and lower because people disappoint you and you disappoint yourself and you disappoint others. And next thing you know, you're, you're like me and you're aiming for your feet because at least you can hit that, right? As I wrestled with what, what this means, um, I was just reminded that, that maybe... Um, Maybe real change is possible in, in our lives. As I wrestled with what it means for Jesus to fulfill, I kept noticing how low those expectations are of what God can do. And I don't know about you, but my imagination can be pretty, pretty sad. They can be so low, but the reminder here is that uh, one day God will change the human heart 
itself, what's, what's bigger than that. And so the word that I kept hearing is, I think God, um, he wants to unmanage our expectations of what's possible. Because I think we're made for far more than our incredibly limited hopes and dreams. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of his resurrection, this is what we believe. This is what the, the new kingdom on earth means. Uh, it means that because of what Jesus did and the work of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, but also changing the hearts of others, um, uh, because, of, because of that, because of that kingdom, um, uh, we believe it's possible for us to reconcile with the people that we really can't handle. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it, not only uh, ought you do this, it's possible for you to love your enemy. It's, it's possible for you to reconcile with your parent that you don't talk to anymore. It's possible for you to reconcile with that family member that you just cannot stand because God is here to fulfill us. It's possible for us to be healed of our illnesses at times and we don't even pray for it, right? It's, it's possible uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit for, for you to, to fix your marriage. It's, it's possible for you to love your enemy and it's even possible for that enemy to become a friend. It's possible, and I hear this one from people here all the time, it's possible um, for your kid to come back to Christ and faith. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, and, and you kick yourself, why did I do this? Or, or I did everything I was supposed to do, and they just don't seem to be walking with Jesus. And you, you, know, you, you, do, you tell me, and we just shake our heads, and we say, well, God help. But really, it's, it's possible. It's possible for your friend to come back to Christ. It's possible for your presence in your workplace um, to transform your workplace. Um, really, it's possible for the people that you see on a daily basis to be blessed by God because you were there. It's possible to live like death is not the end. Um, but it's not possible because we can try really hard. Um, it's not possible because we're just really strong, right? Read the Old Testament. Even the strongest people and the most blessed by God people fail. Um, it's only possible if we accept what Christ has done for us. If we uh, believe in who he is and believe in the kingdom that he brought down, if we admit our need and our lacking and our failing before God and we turn to him, then it's possible. If we respond to Christ for his death on the cross and remember his resurrection and we say, Lord, forgive me and remake me, it's possible. Some of us need to do this. Some of us have never accepted Jesus in that way. And some of us did a long time ago when we were a kid or maybe two weeks ago or whatever, and we've forgotten what's possible in him. But as we finish this, this service today, um, we're going to take a minute to, uh, to pray about that. Because uh, Jesus uh, really does intend to make us new people. If you read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, every line in there, it's really hard to read that unless you're really trying to get out of it. Every line in there, Jesus actually expects that people might live like this. He really does. It's possible to be new kingdom people that look like the Sermon on the Mount. It's possible uh, for him to fulfill who we were always meant to be. Because really, Jesus really does intend to transform us, and he really does intend to transform the world. And one day, we believe that he really will come back and finish the work that he started, shining light and spreading salt in a dark, spoiled world. And the question that keeps coming back to me is, what if we lived like it was possible? Would you pray with me? Lord God, Lord of love, 
and care, but God who loves us so much you don't want to leave us stuck in our sins and our old behaviors and our old habits. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for what you've done. We come before you today uh, thinking that so much is impossible and we ask, Lord, that you would renew our imaginations, that you'd remind us that you are in the business of changing hearts. And so, Lord, as we sit here before you today, if, if any of us have never accepted that gift, Lord, we're going to take just a moment to, to pray, and you can, you can pray with me in your hearts if you like, to say, Lord, I'm not enough. I've sinned. I mess up. But I believe you're bigger than me. I believe that your son came, lived, and died, and rose again. So, Lord, because of what he did, transform my life. May that be true for us today, Lord. Those of us that have, have maybe accepted you before but forgotten what you can do, Lord, remind us. Help us to pray big prayers for our own transformation and for the transformation of the places that we live. Help us to stop aiming for our feet and instead pray big, bold prayers because you are a big God. Transform us. Help us to let your spirit in to do that work. We thank you, God, for what you've done and for what you're doing in us. We pray, Lord, that you help us to unmanage our expectations for what's possible in you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.